almost everybody who drives today has a GPS unit. Either your smartphone or your vehicle has one. And it's incredible how we rely upon that device now and how so few of us use maps anymore. Some of the smarter ones have traffic alerts that tell you if there's an accident ahead or if there's traffic ahead and it will reroute you so that you can save a little time. But one of the common features on all of these devices is that when you miss a turn and you're going in the wrong direction, it will recalculate and get you back on track. Traveling in the wrong direction is frustrating. We can lose precious time. But if you're traveling through life in the wrong direction, well, much more is at stake. Eternal things are at stake. Peace, purpose is at stake. Well, today, our Easter text is the account of two disciples traveling in the wrong direction, in the wrong way, but they don't know it until the resurrected Jesus catches up to them and transforms their thinking, causing them to change not only the direction of their travels, but their direction of life itself. And I'm referring to the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. Through this remarkable story, God wants to show us the life-altering, direction-changing transformation that takes place in every person who the resurrected Christ reveals himself to by grace through his word. Our text is the account of what happened later in the day on Resurrection Day. Follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 49. This is the word of the Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding to each other as you talk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was one, the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you any here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That ends the reading of God's Word. Well, in Luke chapter 24, we find... Three major events taking place on Easter Sunday. The women and Peter discovering the tomb to be empty, and then Jesus appearing to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then his appearing to all the disciples in the evening. And we're going to focus on those last two events. Now these two disciples are not part of the twelve, probably part of the, the next group of disciples, the 70 in the next concentric circle around Jesus. But they were close followers of Christ. Now these two could be husband and wife. We're told that one of them was named Cleopas. Now Cleopas could also be the Clopas that is mentioned in John 19 verse 25 that a woman named Mary was the wife of. And that Mary was also at the foot of the cross, standing near the cross when Jesus was crucified. Now we know that most of the disciples were scattered 
before or around the time when Jesus died. And the Jews could not travel on the Sabbath day. And so the next day, on Sunday, these disciples, these two disciples, head for home to a small town called Emmaus. And we're told it's seven miles from Jerusalem. That would be like leaving this church here and going to Thomas Crossroads in Noonan. That's about seven miles away. And Google Maps says that if you walk, it would take three hours. I don't believe that. I know it would take me at least twice as long. But anyway, these two are talking about the events of the weekend surrounding Jesus' death. And then all of a sudden, the resurrected Christ catches up to them. Now, this is the third appearance of Jesus on Resurrection Day. The first one was he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women that we read about in our call to worship from the Gospel of Mark. And then secondly was Peter. The first point I believe God wants to teach us from this text is point number one, the resurrection transformation from unbelief to faith and understanding. Jesus engages them. He asks, what are they talking about? But it says in verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, how were they kept? Was this something God did to blind them at this time? Or was Jesus' resurrected body a little bit different than his uh, pre-resurrection body, pre-glorified body? Or was it just that their unbelief blinded them from seeing Jesus. Kent Hughes, the commentator, says that uh, he believes they were kept from recognizing him because Jesus wanted to base their understanding of the resurrection on the scriptures first and not on their experience, their senses. Be that as it may, they were unbelieving. Now it's interesting that After Jesus asks them what they're talking about, Cleopas comes back with a sarcastic remark. Can you believe being sarcastic with Jesus? In verse 18, he he responds as if Jesus is asking a stupid question. He's saying, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Well, one thing this comment shows us is that many people knew what had happened in Jerusalem to Jesus. But the irony here is that the one that Cleopas is addressing was the only one who really knew everything that had gone on because it happened to him. And then they tell Jesus about who the people thought he was and how he was delivered up to be crucified. But did you notice in verse 22 and following, they say, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. They knew something was to occur on the third day. They they had hoped that Jesus was the one who would deliver them from Roman rule, physically bringing in a new kingdom. These two remembered what Jesus had said on the third day, that there would be a new life, new resurrection, but they did not believe. They were there the morning when the women 
came back and shared with a group of disciples what they had seen. They had heard about the empty tomb. They heard others report about it as well. But in their unbelief, they misinterpreted what was going on. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, 11, it says the disciples believed the women were giving them an idle tale. And so they didn't believe them. They thought that they were just seeing a vision. Well, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus had unbelieving hearts in the resurrection of Christ, like the rest of the disciples at that point. And of course, Jesus knows this, and so he rebukes them gently. He says in verse 25, O foolish ones, O those who have slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He's saying, you've heard me teach about these things. How can you be so clueless? You should know better. But then he begins with Moses and all the prophets, and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What an incredible Bible study that must have been. Jesus going through the Old Testament with a Christ-centered overview. And their unbelief, though, is connected to failing to believe what the Bible had to say about Jesus. You see, I think it's very significant that in each of the gospel accounts of the resurrection, Jesus takes people back to the Old Testament, to the Word of God, to show how his death and his resurrection was prophesied to happen. Well, at this point, they still did not believe, but they were obviously intrigued by this traveling companion of theirs. And so we read as they arrived in Emmaus in the evening, they urged him to stay at their home. And then it says in verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. He took away whatever had blinded their eyes from recognizing him. He opened their eyes to understand and to believe. And perhaps at that moment they saw his nail wounds in his hands when he served them the bread. But then he vanishes. And they say to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Later on, skipping ahead, when they are all in Jerusalem and all the disciples are gathered together and they're hearing Peter's eyewitness and testimony of seeing Jesus, he all of a sudden appears, Jesus, in their midst. And they thought they were seeing a ghost, a spirit. And he says to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your hearts? And then he shows them his hands and his feet, invites them to touch him. They're all in a state of giddy disbelief at this point. And then Jesus delivers the final blow to their unbelief. He asks them for something to eat. And they give him some broiled fish. And he eats it. And then he repeats to them what he told the two on the road to Emmaus. He reminds them of what he taught before he was crucified. That everything in the scriptures, including the law and the prophets and the Psalms, 
had to be fulfilled about him. And then in verse 45, it says, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You see, the Old Testament is full of Jesus. The logical deduction of God's promises and prophecies are the incarnation, the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of God the Son, the Messiah. The scriptures point to Jesus. And so the point that we were to see here is the unbelief of these disciples about Jesus' resurrection. Their eyes had to be opened to the reality of his resurrection and the reality of what the scriptures taught about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. God had to bring about a transformation in their hearts from unbelief to faith and understanding. But that's not the only transformation caused by Christ and his resurrection. Secondly, I want you to see point number two, the resurrection transformation from fear to peace and joy. We have to recognize what these disciples were going through at this time. They were depressed. They were running away. They were fearful. They were bewildered. They were grieving. They were sad. Notice that when Jesus first approached these disciples on their way to Emmaus, verse 17 says, When he asked them where they were going and what they were talking about, it says they stood still looking sad. Imagine one that you had followed, you'd given your life to follow for three years, that you looked to to be the redeemer of Israel, all of a sudden was arrested and tortured and killed, murdered on a cross. Imagine how you would feel The disillusionment, the sadness, the grief. We read later that when the group of disciples were gathered back in Jerusalem and Jesus appeared in front of them, he says, why are you troubled? They were still very troubled even though they saw him. Sadness had overwhelmed them. Jesus had to illumine their minds. He had to take away their fears. He suddenly opens their eyes to the reality of his resurrection and the meaning of it from the scriptures and they're transformed from fear to peace and joy. The two in Emmaus describe to each other the burning in their hearts that begins to occur when they were with Jesus, when he was opening to them the scriptures When Jesus appears in the room to these disciples, he proclaims to them his peace. And I love how verse 41 describes this process of their unbelief dissolving and the process of growing faith and diminished fear. It says, while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling. Clearly, God wants us to see here That when he, by his grace, reveals to us the resurrection of Christ and its meaning from the scriptures, there is a transformation that takes place in our hearts from fear to peace and joy. A while back I was reading about a story that happened back during World War II. On January 13th, 1944, a woman by the name of Sharon Candeloni 
experienced the saddest day of her life. She had twins, two two-and-a-half-year-old boys. Her husband was John Candeloni, and he, she had not seen him for two years. He was a Marine fighting in World War II in the Philippines. But every day, she prayed for his protection. But then that day on January 13th, she received a telegram that he was killed. The casket was sent back and was not to be opened because his body was beyond recognition. Three months had gone by after his funeral, and every night she cried herself to sleep. On Easter Sunday, she came to church with her mom and dad and her twins. And as the pastor began to open up the service, praising God for the glories of the resurrection, there was a strange creak in the floor in the back of the sanctuary. And the pastor stopped in mid-sentence, and he rubbed his eyes because he couldn't believe what he saw. It was John Candeloni in uniform, on crutches. And the pastor says, it can't be, it can't be. And everybody turned around and Sharon, his wife, shrieked out and ran down the aisle and threw her arms around her husband. And he explained that he was in a foxhole when a mortar hit and his buddies were killed. He was badly injured. His dog tags were torn off of him and landed near one of his dead friends. And his friend's body was mistaken for his. John had been in a coma for two months and then didn't realize the mistaken identity that had occurred. Well, the whole service was disrupted. People were crying. People were laughing with great joy. Children ran up to John to touch him to see if he was real. And he apologized to the pastor for the disruption in the service. And the pastor said, oh, that's okay. I think we have had the best illustration of what happened when the women and the other disciples realized that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead and alive. It changed their whole disposition. It turned their sorrow into joy. Well, finally, I want you to see, not only did the resurrected Christ revealing himself cause a transformation from unbelief to faith and understanding and from fear to peace and joy, but finally, God shows us in this text The resurrection transformation from aimlessness to purpose and mission. Here these two disciples had traveled seven miles, like walking from here to Thomas Crossroads on foot that Sunday afternoon, and they arrived home exhausted. But because of their eyes being open to Christ's physical resurrection, and because they now began to understand what the Scriptures taught about Jesus They wanted to be back in Jerusalem. They wanted to see Jesus again. They wanted to see their brethren and encourage their brethren. And so they could not wait. And we're told in verse 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They braved the dangerous Palestinian roads. They took a U-turn and traveled at night. And I can't imagine that they just walked very calmly to Jerusalem. I believe they probably broke out into a run every once in a while. They walked seven miles back and they found the other disciples gathered together and they told them of their amazing visitor and how he was revealed to them when he broke bread. 
And then, of course, Jesus stood among them and revealed that he was indeed physically raised from the dead. And he had their attention like none other time. And what does he tell them in verse 46? Thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus reminds them This is what he's been teaching all along. He had to suffer. He had to rise from the dead. He did not want their belief to just rest upon their experience of seeing him or even touching them. He wanted them to ground their faith on the testimony of Scripture. And then he instructs how the the Scripture foretold of this gospel of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You see, this is why Jesus came to deal with our sins. The Bible tells us we are born separated from God. We are born with a sinful nature that we've inherited from the first man, Adam. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, all of us inherited a sinful nature. And the Bible tells us that God requires absolute holiness from us, absolute perfection We need to fulfill his commandments perfectly, and yet we fall miserably short of doing so. But in addition to this, the Bible also tells us that God is a just judge. He cannot look the other way. He cannot just dismiss our sins. He must judge all of our sins against his commandments. And we amass this great debt that we cannot repay. We cannot atone for those sins, nor can we be good enough for God. We cannot fulfill His commandments. So this is the predicament of mankind. We're lost. And this is why Jesus came to this world. The second person of the Trinity, God Himself, took on human nature and yet without sin. And He came to be our substitute to do for us what we could not do for ourselves in order to save us. He came to fulfill the commandments on our behalf. He he lived the Ten Commandments perfectly in thought, word, and deed. He loved God with His whole heart, mind, and strength and His neighbor as He loved Himself. But Jesus also set His face toward the cross for he also had to atone for our sin. We could not do that ourselves. And so on the cross, as the innocent Lamb of God, he received the debt of our sin, the guilt of our sin, and he was punished in our place. His suffering, his bleeding, his dying, was far more than just the physical suffering of crucifixion. No, he experienced the judgment of God on the cross for our sins. In other words, the equivalent of hell for all those that He came to die for who would believe in Him. He died, but on the third day He rose from the dead. And you see, His resurrection is good news because it verified that Jesus in fact accomplished what He came to do. The Father accepted His payment for our sins. It also verified who He was, God, the Son, 
the Messiah. And it proved that he had victory over sin and death and the devil for us. And so what is the gospel? The gospel is recognizing our sin by God's grace and turning from our sin and trusting in Christ, who he is and what he did for our salvation. And when a person turns from their sin and trusts in Christ alone, God declares that person righteous before him and forgiven of all of their sins, past, present, and future. And they're given union with Christ, fellowship with the Godhead. They're given the gift of eternal life, adoption into God's family, and the promise that someday when Christ returns, we will also receive immortal resurrected bodies to live on a new earth with Christ and all his people forever and ever. But you see, when Jesus reminded them of the gospel, he didn't just leave it there. He told them that they and the church had a purpose and a mission to proclaim this message to the world and that he was going to give them the Holy Spirit at Pentecost who would empower them to do this. This was their purpose. You know, the resurrection is the reason for the radical transformation of the disciples. One of the most overlooked arguments for the resurrection is that we have an early Christian movement that radically reversed its view of Jesus from a defeated would-be Messiah who was dead in the tomb to the true living only Messiah who was alive. There was this dramatic turnaround in the lives of all the disciples. They became courageous and bold. Ten of the eleven disciples were martyred for their faith. The church was emboldened because of the resurrection and their conviction that the Scriptures pointed to the death and resurrection of Christ in fulfilling the Gospel. How about you this morning? Have you met this Jesus on your Emmaus Road? Has he transformed your heart like he transformed the heart of these disciples? Maybe you're on that road right now. Maybe you're walking down the road of disillusionment, of sorrow, of confusion, and Jesus has caught up to you today. He knows your secrets. He knows the condition of your soul. He knows your sins. He knows your doubts and your fears. He knows your expectations of life and how they have been dashed and your hopes disappointed. He's speaking to you through His Word. He's testifying to your heart right now, I am alive. I came to save you. He's calling you to repentance and faith so that you can know the forgiveness of your sins, so that you can have new life and hope for eternal life. Well, my first application question is, have you believed in the resurrected Christ? And do you understand what it represents and proves? These disciples had all the basic facts they needed about the cross and the empty tomb but it did not add up to understanding the gospel yet in their minds. Why? Because they hadn't yet believed that Jesus rose from the dead. And you see, that truth connects to what he came to do to save them 
You see, if you do not know and believe the truth of Christ's resurrection, then you cannot know that your sins are forgiven through his suffering and death on the cross. You cannot know that he lived a righteous life for you to give you his righteousness. You see, what Jesus came to do is not good news unless, unless you believe that he rose from the dead. Unless you know that Jesus had victory over death and sin and the devil for you. Have you seen a transformation in your life from unbelief to faith and understanding of his word? Jesus made the point many times before he went to the cross, the necessity of the cross, but also the necessity of his resurrection for salvation. And that leads me to my second application question. Has the resurrected Christ turned your life 180 degrees around toward following him and encouraging his people? When Jesus taught these two people on the road to Emmaus and then he revealed his resurrected self to them at the breaking of bread, these disciples, even though they were tired from seven, out, seven miles of walking, they could not wait until morning to reverse their course and go back to Jerusalem. Why? They wanted to see Jesus again. They wanted to be with the disciples and tell them what they saw. They quickly turned around and walked part of the night back to Jerusalem. See, what Jesus is telling us here is that if he has revealed himself to you and you have faith and repentance in him, your life takes a 180 degree turn to follow him and to be with his people and to encourage his people. Perhaps you're a believer here this morning, but you have recently gotten your eyes off of the resurrected Christ and the impact that he had on your life. Well, you need Christ to reveal himself to you again, to redirect you back onto the right course of following him. And how does that happen? Repent of trying to live apart from the resurrected Christ in your life. Repent from going your own direction. Repent of unbelief and ask Him to reveal Himself to you afresh through His Word. Ask Him to show you what it means that He rose again for you and that you have new life in Him. You have hope and victory in Him. And that leads me to my third application question. Has your life been transformed from aimlessness to the eternal purpose of living for Christ and his mission. Martin Luther said, live as though Christ died yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is coming back tomorrow. Do you have a clear purpose for your life right now? The resurrected Christ gave his disciples and then all the church a clear purpose, a clear mission. He is Lord. He is the risen Lord. He's reigning in heaven. He's brought us in to a relationship with Him into His family. And He's called us to live for Him, to glorify Him by living a holy life. And in response to His grace, tell others about this gospel, this good news. He's coming again. And it is going to be soon. 
let's stay awake and be found at work in this mission when he returns. Is that the mission of your life? In every arena of your life, in your family life, your life at work, your life at school, in all your relationships, all your endeavors, are you seeking to live for him and to tell others about the good news of the gospel? Well, my prayer is that God would cause a resurrection transformation from any unbelief, any fear, any aimlessness that may be present in your life today. And by his power and the word of God, renew in you faith. Faith in the resurrected Christ. Understanding of what the scriptures teach about him and true peace and joy and purpose and mission. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this encounter that you have recorded for us with these two on the road to Emmaus and then the rest of the disciples. Oh Lord, help us to enter into that experience because that's the experience we've all had. If we know you, you have, you have transformed us by your resurrected power, resurrection power, and by the word of God. Lord, would you continue to keep us on the track that you have placed us on, to glorify you, to follow you, and to be on mission. And we pray, Lord, for those who may not know you, may not have had that transformation take place in their lives. Today, even today, would you call them to faith and repentance? Would you grant them the gift of faith and repentance in Christ and put them on a new path, a path of hope and joy and purpose? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.